3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday breakfast, 3CR, 855 AM, and it is just coming up to 2 past 7 in the morning. Is it 1 past 7, 2 past 7? It's just 1 past 7 right now. We have two clocks. It's confusing. Um, but yeah, good morning, Rosie. Good morning, Priya. How are you this morning? I am well, thank you. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, had a very chilly ride in. Yeah, I'm. You know, I haven't cracked yet. I'm still um, still not wearing gloves, but um, every day uh, I feel like it's more and more of a mistake. Anyway, stay tuned for more updates like that every week. Um, yeah, we've got a obviously always a big show for you today. Um, Rosie, do you want to jump into letting us know what we've got on for today? Yeah, so first up, we're going to hear an excerpt from the 2021 Emerging Writers Festival Late Night Literature Imagining Abolitionist Futures event. The event is hosted by Nayuka and Whit Gorry. In part one, we hear poetry from Flick Smith and poetry and prose from Ashley Chapman and Stacey Stokes, which is recited by Nayuka and Whit Gorry. In part two, we're going to hear from Rosalina Curtis, um, and she shares her story about growing up in the Northern Territory. Awesome. And after that, we're going to hear uh, some audio from the Free Palestine Rally that was held in NARM on Saturday, the 3rd of July. And this is outside the State Library of Victoria. And basically, this is drawing attention to the fact that a ceasefire doesn't mean that apartheid has ended, even though Palestine is out of the media cycle. You know, ev- evictions are still proceeding in Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan um, to build an amusement park, I believe, in in. Yeah, the bi- one? a biblical amusement park. Oh, my goodness. It's, yeah, settler colonialism is a hell of a drug. So, um, yeah, we really encourage people to stay on top of updates coming out of Palestine because, um, you know, this is not over. Um, yeah, uh, what's on next? And then we're going to speak with Tony Green and Nathan Newton from uh, and from Dadi Munwaro, um, and they're joining us to talk about their new show, Strong Spirit, on 3CR. And this show features interviews with community members from a First Nations perspective and focuses on having discussions about cultural healing and intergenerational trauma. And after that, we're going to be joined by Fayanne Daivi, who's an artist and writer from Malaysia, raised in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and who's now living in the bushlands of unceded Jajawaran country. And uh, her projects are often collaborative, resist spectatorship by inviting audiences into sensorial readings of artworks. And Fan joins us to talk about her solo exhibition that is opening at West Base this Saturday, the 10th of July. And the exhibition is titled, We Get in Touch with Things at the Point They Break Down. Even in the absence of spectators and audiences, dust circulates. 
And then finally, gosh, it is a really big show. We're going to speak to Eve Reese, writer, podcaster and historian based at La Trobe University. And they're joining us to speak about the recently released special issue of Bent Street Journal, Soft Borders, Hard Edges. This issue was co-edited with Sam Elkin and Tiffany Jones and contains a collection of pieces by members of the trans and gender diverse community. Soft Borders, Hard Edges is available widely, as well as at Hare and Hyenas in Fitzroy and the bookshop in Darlinghurst. Yeah, and I mean, as you should know, this week is NADOC week, um, and the theme for NADOC week is Hill Country, although stick a pin in that because some of our updates are going to show how the government is really not committed to, the, oh, sorry, some of our headlines are going to show how government's really not being committed to that, but in the spirit of NADOC week's theme for this year, Hill Country, here's Indigenous Land by Dreaming Now and River Boy. Everywhere we walk upon in this world, one indigenous group or another has once lived there before for thousands and thousands of years. One of the most intricate and respectful ways to inhabit that place. We need to remember that. You're on indigenous land, original clan. Since beginning of man, countless years out on this land. Living so grand, allowed to command. Intrinsic alarm, never disband. 60,000 plus. Following law before this sight of hand To the seasons and sacred plants Injured storms for many lives spent From the desert down to the clay pen Tropics and mountaintops from to no chance Sanctified features, no equivalent Swept with the tide, deeply advanced Warriors, also boys in a sense Outers, wisdom, truth, never by chance Close to his elixirs and transcendent Standing in love across every expense Message to blind, it's in a hand Reflection beauty from all that expands Infused with the magic, majestic and grand Murray and Ma, thought of cool land No more body, call it the band Koko, Yalanji, Bang where is it you stand, a man? Whose land you standing on? Know the history, know the facts. It's indigenous land that you are on. Indigenous land is where you stand. Indigenous land is where you be. Indigenous land is always what? Indigenous land always will be. Indigenous land. Indigenous land is where you be. Indigenous land, it always was. Indigenous land, always will be. Lest we forget the frontier wars and the genocide blueprint of those they want. Death and custody, you see, is no more prolific than ever for five big girls. Still, they gallivant and they're robust. Children again and again, so long in the blink of an eye. They go with us and then they are gone. We still amidst all these storms, 230 years on. Pillars in school, culture ignore. Fictions in city, it's a dawn. All about sacredness, shaking and swarm. All the while on indigenous land. We are living out that lies upon. Does your mind realize the storm? As it posts in subliminal dawn. From ancestors on the rise on. To do not belong, a perpetual cycle of wrongs. It's been glorious, we will time bomb. But yeah, all of our kingdoms still here, still live on. We still countless original, limitless indigenous nations. They don't broken chain of law, ancestral law. They given us more, endlessly, they given us more. From the desert to the shore, they delivering law. They sing of the law for forever more. Indigenous land. Indigenous land is where you preach. Indigenous land is always what? Indigenous land always will be. Indigenous land is where you stand. Indigenous land is where you preach. Indigenous land is always what? Indigenous land always will be. 
That was Indigenous Land by Dreaming Now and Riverboy. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And now we're going to jump into some news headlines. So, Rosie, what do we have up first? Yeah, so up first we've got um, a news story about the NDIS, which is something that we've been following quite a lot on the show. Um, so... Uh, today, uh, the Guardian reports that the NDIS independent assessments should not proceed in current form according to the Coalition's own advisory council. Um, so the Morrison government's own independent advisory body um, is uh, saying that the contentious plan to introduce independent assessments, which we have discussed previously on the show, should not go ahead in its current form, um, which I guess, yeah, really, you know, this is not really news in the sense that we already know that these um, independent assessments should not go ahead in their current form or really in any form, Um, but it's kind of just really underlines the fact that this government is pursuing this for um, kind of cost-cutting and pretty nefarious reasons, really, considering that their own um, advisory council is saying that this is a bad idea. Yeah, and I mean, also, it is that, that frustrating thing, again, where you know, disabled folks and um, advocates and supporters have been raising this for a really long time. You know, if this is the thing that makes a change, then it begs the question, why hadn't people been listened to earlier? Um, The second thing that we have on uh, our updates or news headlines is an update from SeedMob. So they've uh, made a post yesterday on their Instagram account, that's at SeedMob at Instagram, um, about the fact that in the middle of NAIDOC week, the Morrison government has chosen to show their support for the theme Heal Country for NAIDOC week this year by handing out $21 million public dollars to the company Imperial Energy, which is an oil and gas corporation also known as Empire Energy. And this is a process of fast-tracking fracking in the Northern Territory. And this came at the same day that public submissions were due um, into the recently announced Senate inquiry into the government's $50 million handout for big oil and gas corporations to frack in the Beetaloo Basin. So Seed Mob are saying it's more important than ever to stand alongside communities in the NT who are fighting back to protect country from destruction at the hands of the fossil fuel industry. And, yeah, please head to Seed Mob socials to find out more about what you can do to support because this really is shameful. You know, we're living through the, the stages of the, the climate collapse now. And it's just, you know, it's unbelievable that it's still considered, uh, you know, oil and gas industry is still so prioritized. Um, as well. And then uh, finally, in terms of news headlines, uh, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service has put out a joint media release, um, basically raising concerns about the lack of transparency and oversight in prison disciplinary processes that was found by the Victorian Ombudsman. So there's a Victorian Ombudsman investigation into good practice when conducting prison disciplinary hearings that found the disciplinary hearings in Victorian prisons are still carried out, quote unquote, in the dark with um, insufficient scrutiny, oversight and transparency and particularly affecting people in prison with a cognitive disability or mental illness. So if you remember last week, uh, we had a we had an interview uh, that focused on those concerns around people with disability um, and uh, the criminal legal system and effects there. So, um, you know, you can head back and listen to that as well. But basically, um, this media release is stating that uh, people's conditions have not been uh, considered consistently, insufficient supports being provided, and there are basically serious deficiencies in disciplinary processes in Victorian prisons. And this comes just weeks after uh, Victorian's anti-corruption watchdog 
the Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission has released a special report on corrections, which uncovered some serious and systemic um, issues with Victoria's private and public prisons. Thanks, Priya. And just before we um, go to our first interview this morning, sorry, our first piece of audio this morning, I just wanted to boost a fundraiser, a GoFundMe for Joey King. Um, Joey is a friend of the show and is currently experiencing homelessness, and she's really close to reaching her um, GoFundMe target. So if you wanted to support Joey, could you please just go to search uh, to GoFundMe and search Help Joey Rebuild Her Life, and you'll find her GoFundMe there. So a little shout out to Joey. And now um, we are going to go into our first um, bit of audio. So we're going to hear this first part of um, the 2021 Emerging Writers Festival Late Night Literature Imagining Abolitionist Futures event. And this this event was hosted by Nayuka and Whit Gorry. And part one, which we'll hear now, is um, poetry from Flick Smith, poetry and prose from Ashley Chapman and Stacey Stokes, which were recited by Nayuka and Whit Gorry. Here we are. Hello, I'd like to acknowledge that Whit and I are both on Gunai Kurnai land and I'm a Gunai Kurnai Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta Gunajamara person, so speaking on my own country tonight feels very special. It is impossible to speak about abolition and the carceral system without first speaking to colonialism in this country. To speak of the prison industrial complex in Australia is to speak of colonialism. The incarceration, surveillance and control of our people, children and adults, have always been a way to dispossess us of our land, disappear us, kill us, strip us of our culture and break our spirits. Which is to say the prison industrial complex is genocide that hasn't ended, only adapted. In spite of all this, blackfellas are still here. We're still fighting to end the prison industrial complex. All over the country, blackfellas practice the world we want to live in already. There are pockets of joy and freedom and blackness all over. I acknowledge the sovereignty of the peoples whose land you're all on. I acknowledge their elders past and present. I'd also especially like to acknowledge Raymond Noel Thomas and his family. The coronial inquest into Raymond Noel's death in police custody here in Victoria has begun and I urge everyone in a position to, to go support his family at the coroner's court in South Bank. Thanks. Um, I'm Whit Gurry. I'm, I'm a white social worker um, who's worked alongside people who are incarcerated for the past decade. Um, I currently work at Flat Out in NAM, supporting trans and gender diverse people inside Victorian prisons and alongside survivors of family violence. And I'm Nayuka, uh, with my partner. Um, <laughs> Surprise. Um, yeah, as I said before, I'm a Gunai, Kurnai, Gunachamara, Rajri, and Yorta Yorta writer. Um, and tonight, I guess the reason why I'm here tonight is, aside from being affected by having a lot of family um, incarcerated um, and also institutionalised, I'm also a writer, and writing to me is a cultural production. And writing is world-making in both a world-on-the-page-what-you-read sense, but also very much the world-we-live-in sense. And as a writer, I think it's my responsibility to write the world in some way, what I, the world I want to live in, or at least 
think critically about the world as it is now. Something that's um, something that really resonated with me recently was reading Marion Carver's We Do This Till We Free It. In the opening essay of that book, she comments on how abolition is occasionally dismissed as a destructive force. And while this might be the case where we destroy old oppressive systems, it is ultimately a practice that is about building. It is generative and creative and future-oriented. We need to use our imaginations. Tonight, we have a lineup comprised of currently and formerly incarcerated people in their work. These are all people who have survived or are currently surviving the violence of the prison industrial complex. Very often, through various mechanisms such as policy, discrimination and brute force, criminalised and incarcerated people are gagged and not given platforms to speak to the brutalities of the state and carceral system. They are also not afforded the chance to speak to the best way forward. As people who have survived that system, who know its strengths and weaknesses intimately the way that we might know our strengths and weaknesses of our enemies in a battle, we believe that these are the voices that we must listen to. To get to this abolitionist future, we also need to acknowledge and address the harms that the current system today causes. We need to hold the past and present simultaneously. Abolition doesn't shy away from addressing harm and neither do the pieces you're about to hear. They not only challenge us to imagine new worlds, but speak to the violence, trauma and harm that's perpetuated and compounded by the prison industrial complex. As such, we'd like to flag that some of the work tonight does speak to physical, sexual and psychological violence and may be triggering for other survivors. Now, Yuka and I are really honoured to host this event alongside such an incredible lineup, and thank you all for joining us tonight and thank the Emerging Writers Festival for creating this space. Um, so let's kick us off. Um, I'd first like to welcome Flick Smith. Um, Flick is a nut and jelly woman who is a mother to a beautiful baby boy and an amazing acrylic artist. She's been inside five times and will be officially free of the system when her parole ends next month, which is huge, huge. Um, I first met Flick when she was last inside working incredibly hard to get released. Um, she knows all too well about the impact of the system and I'm so stoked she's able to join us tonight. Thank you, Flick. I'd just like to say thank you for having me and um, I hope you enjoy my reading. Welcome to the system. Welcome to the system that can be bought with money and power because it's a big game. Decided by the Prime Minister who can get the most amount of fame. Let me give you a quick rundown of the rules. Indigenous, you lose. Mental illness, you lose. Struggling with addiction, you lose. Finally unable to take any more physical abuse so you defend yourself and it goes horribly wrong, you lose, and the list goes on. You'll be sent to a place to learn your place. You are now a number. Now people will search your mouth if you have a Panadol. Now you will strip naked if you want to see a loved one. Now you have 12 minutes to catch up on what you have missed out on. Now you will wear pants with holes, shoes with no soles, and you will eat soup from bowls from plates because we have run out of bowls. 
You'll be housed in a facility, one of 15 facilities where over 470 deaths of First Nation people have occurred without scrutiny to remove you from and safeguard the public community. Royal Commission, for what? Reconciliation, where? Rehabilitation, sorry, that program's full. Do you need trauma counselling? I'll put you down on the six month wait list. You'll be medicated to ensure compliance because we will not tolerate defiance. Those that need the most help and assistance are trapped inside justice systems. Feeling suicidal? You'll be stripped and placed in a gown, and I don't mean bridal. Locked in a concrete cell of sorts to help with your self-harm thoughts. Feeling depressed? A pain in your chest? Fill out a form and put it in the box and I pray it won't get lost. You'll be locked away where every day is Groundhog Day. Not much changes and not, and not much is achieved. In a prison of 500 women, there are five spots for higher education, but they're all already taken. In a prison of 500 women, there are eight beds in a unit specifically for alcohol and other drug rehabilitation, but they're all already taken. In a prison of 500 women, there are 20 phones for family communication, but they're all already taken. In a prison of 500 women, there are 10 beds and two units for mother and child accommodation, but they're all already taken. If you go into labour, you'll get an ambulance to the hospital and give birth whilst being cuffed to the bed, with prison officers never leaving your side until they return you back to your cell without your baby because there is no room. A woman is screaming in pain, pressing the buzzer again and again, only to be ignored, another death behind prison doors. Now tell me how that person's main priority is supposed to be contributing to society. We need to heal, we need to feel, we need to be in a world that is real, not locked in a cage somewhere off stage. Out of sight, be given a chance to fight for what we want to be. A chance to break the cycle, no, but no more denial and no more denial. Trial and error, error and trial. Here's an idea. Give people a place to get their minds right and clear. Help people feel safe and supported. It's not something that should induce fear. Give people a place to go that isn't a cell because no one can get the assistance they need if they are living in hell. Every person needs access to mental, physical and addiction services because every person is worth it. No more wait lists for detox and rehab facilities. Support people helping themselves to overcome their difficulties. Would you be able to get a job if you had nowhere to sleep at night? A CRN should not follow you through life. Narrowing opportunities is just not right. Taxpayers pay to make criminals disappear because fixing the symptom is easier than fixing the problem. You would not treat cancer with a band-aid. So how about using that tax money to treat the source of the pain? Thanks everyone for joining tonight. Enjoy the rest of the show. That was incredible, Flick. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Sue. Um, next up, we have Ash. Ashley Chapman is a 27-year-old lesbian woman diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. She served a sentence of three years in the Dane Phillips Frost Centre, which is here in Victoria. We'll talk a little later this evening about a campaign to stop the expansion of that prison um, and also Tarangower Prison. She was sent back for two years on remand and is currently still inside. 
Whilst incarcerated, she saw a broken and troubled system and set out on a path to make it a better place. Becoming the first, identif- becoming the first woman to advocate and represent the LGBTIQ plus and disability community while she was still in prison in Victoria. Passionate and determined from a young age, she has overcome many obstacles and continues to fight for the rights of others. Ash obviously can't be here tonight, but we're so thankful that she was able to send us this piece. And our thoughts are with you, Ash. Thank you so much. This is called A Future Captured by Ashley Chapman. The voice is beautiful. My lungs filled, fill with a relieved gasp. I expected a sentence to prison, a feeling of chest tightening, breath weak, metal and voices, a life, a life of strict searches and beating. But I have a table of warmth and empathy, compassion and communication, an unwavering sense of belief and understanding with the outcome forever changed for me, and everyone is utterly breathtaking. A chance, I tell you at real recovery, support, and the understanding of who we are, our background, our life, our everything, with a simple question, a simple why, which leads to further questions and genuine support. Why are you here? Why did you do it? The real truth, the further questions, how can we help? And help, I mean real help. Homes, counselling, communication, support, material aid, counselling of all forms, warmth, food, shelter and clothing, necessities, and so much more. Where the media reports the person behind the story, not the glamour lie. Where everyone understands that people need support and help, not bars and forced solitude. Where governments say no to prisons and yes to actual help and improving, and do it. Actions, not just words. Thank you. Um, We have another piece um, from a woman that also is incarcerated at the moment um, that was sent in. Um, And, you know, obviously it's, you know, it's really tricky for for people to be able to participate in these kind of events and, um, you know, for for the pieces we've had like lawyers look over them and those sorts of things because um and you know that there's risk for people um so it's you know it's so great to be able to give these platforms to people that are inside so the next piece is um by stacy stokes so stacy is a 38 year old trans woman who's been incarcerated in a men's prison for the past five years she enjoys writing letters listening to and playing music especially classical she uses creative writing as a way to keep herself sane. As Stacey said to me, um, writing is a little window out of my hell of being a woman in a male prison. Um, Stacey is also someone I've, I've had the privilege of working alongside and as a fierce advocate for the rights of transgender people in prison right now. Um, the majority of, of trans people in custody in Australia are predominantly trans women um, and most of whom are located in men's prisons. Um, so, Stacey's piece. If we maintain our current course, the future of prisons is an ever-expanding series of storage facilities for broken people. Our society would rather make those who struggle to conform to society's laws sit in the naughty corner 
than delving into the reasons for their behaviour. We are put in a cage, given no therapy to fix why we are broken. We are alone in a world of predators and no one cares. Every complaint is met with, if you don't like it, then you shouldn't have come to jail. Nothing to do but think, angry and bitter, surrounded by negativity and still broken. And then we are released, because we will be released. We are still broken. The reason we couldn't conform to society's laws still remains. But now we have a criminal record. So we can't get a job and police visit us first whenever a car goes missing in your neighbourhood to remind us, we don't trust you. Because our society cannot forgive us and never will forget the one thing we may have done wrong. If your children were naughty, would you just lock them in the room and not discuss what the issue is? Then constantly raise that they're naughty for the rest of their lives. That sounds emotionally abusive. Many of us have had extremely traumatic events take place in our lives at a young age. And this has stunted our emotional growth and development. Many of us are emotionally still children. We need access to therapy. For some, drugs have been our escape, our coping mechanism, and after jail, the only thing that makes work, that makes life worth living. We need help and healing. But that's our problem, right? Wrong. When you're waiting for an ambulance and none comes because there are a lot of shooting, an overdose, a stabbing, it's your problem now. Your house is broken into by someone with a drug addiction. Maybe if they'd gotten support, your house would have never been burgled, your car stolen, comfort zone violated. How about we consider the cost of the whole useless system? Victoria spends $130,000 per inmate per year. Australia spends $3.8 billion annually. Is it really worth spending $130,000 to keep someone struggling with addiction off the street for a year? You can still get drugs in jail and there's still no support. Then get out and do drugs again. There's nothing to show for it. That money could go to education and healthcare. Your struggling children who need that little bit of extra help at school could get that help. You need surgery, that wait list could be shorter with the money spent on healthcare. Not to mention what we could offer to society if we were allowed back in. The future we need is one that centers healing and education. One where we are all given the support to address the broken parts, not create more. Where real paths exist to learn and be connected. A future without prisons is a world where we all have a place and no one is left behind. I'd just like to acknowledge um, both those pieces, Ashley and, and Stacey's, and, and thank them both for trusting us to read those pieces for them um, and to also, um, you know, say, extend, you know, our, our thoughts to them inside and um, and shout out to all their family who may be listening tonight. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and now we're going to go into part two of Emerging Writers Festival Late Night Literature Imagining Abolitionist Futures event. Here's part two. Next up, we have Rosalina Curtis. 
Rosalina is a black transgender activist with years of experience in advocacy and activism for the rights of trans people. Rosalina is originally from Alice Springs, but has been living in Sydney for the last seven years, and we are so excited she could make it tonight. Here she is. Thank you very much for inviting and having me. And yes, um, my name is Rosalina Curtis, originally from Central Arundel tribe in Alice Springs and surrounding areas of Central Australia. And I've lived um, all over Australia except WA and Tasmania. That's only two on the bucket list. <laughs> and I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners where I am at the moment. Um, um, yeah, and the nation of the Gadigal people. Um, of the other nation, sorry, and um, I like to sh more or less, um, I do storytelling and yeah, I do write, write stories as well, but more or less I'm a storyteller. And I like to share some of my testimonies of how I grew up, grew up leaving home at a very like, young age, self-identifying myself, you know, being transgender and traveling and living homeless, you know, experiences of homelessness and just experiencing the constant, you know, um, harassment from the authorities, the police, and just couch surfing, and having these really strict um, laws in Northern Turkey, especially like now the interventions in there and these racist laws, and and growing up in in Northern Turkey, you know, just couch surfing and finding myself. Then you have laws like the protection laws in Northern Territory where like if you, if the police see that you are they can just arrest you like you know like especially if you're Aboriginal trans I got into the sex industry as well at a younger age you know going around and being a sex worker with other transgender girls and the police would constantly harass us and they'd just throw us in you know and take us to the police station and um would be, you know, getting some of us getting incarcerated and um, just, yeah, saying that they, it's for our own protection. Protecting what? What do we need protection for? More, more, um, first of all, we need protection from you, police. And, yes, and, you know, even living in Sydney, we have these, racist laws like the STMP, you know, the Suspect Target Management Program, as soon as you come out or if you're in trouble with the police and with the authorities, you have your 50% of people living in New South Wales are on that Suspect Target Management Program, which you're, all, you're always targeted from the police. So, you, you know, you can't, it's like you can't do anything. You go down the street, the police, so we know you, we just want to, you know, and they just do it out of intimidation and just to show, you know, their power and authority and they use and abuse that. And then you have these, you know, around Australia, especially in, you know, remote communities and, you know, smaller um, community um, towns and that, where please, they say, they pick up transgender girls, especially if you're a sex worker, they take you out in the bush. And then they say to you, for good or walk it. In other words, spread your legs, spread your legs and give yourself to me or else you're going to go to jail. 
And, you know, these are the sort of things that need to stop. And I, as long as I'm alive, I, will, I want to see changes and fight against these sort of things and these discriminating laws and racist laws that is targeting my Aboriginal, especially my Aboriginal transgender community, you know, because when you come underneath that category of being Aboriginal, not only an Aboriginal, then being transgender, then being a sex worker, and you know, you're, you're a minority of a minority, minority, minority. And as long as I'm alive, I, I want to see changes, and I'm going to fight for that no matter what. And we need to all, you know, I want to live in, you know, feel that abolish all of these races, want to see all these racist laws and abolished. And we have to go as, you know, you know, said at the start, you know, it started from the start, from the colonialism. And we need to go back to the start and, you know, and we need to sit down together as one and we need to make changes for the better for our people. Because how is, how is, we, are we, how are we going to heal as a nation? And how are we going to heal as, you know, that, um, that, you know, that generational trauma? And as long as I'm alive and I will speak and I will tell my story and I want to see changes for the better for everyone. Thank you. And just then, we heard an excerpt from the 2021 Emerging Writers Festival Late Night Literature, Imagining Abolitionist Futures event. That event was hosted by Nayuka and Wit Gorry, and in that first section, we heard poetry from Flick Smith and poetry and prose by Ashley Chapman and Stacey Stokes, which was recited by Nayuka and Wit Gorry. And just then, we heard Rosalina Curtis sharing her story about growing up in the Northern Territory. And next up on Thursday morning breakfast, we're going to hear a speech by Shams, a Palestinian activist working with Free Palestine Melbourne from the recent Free Palestine rally in Nam last Saturday, the 3rd of July. So our final speaker is Shams. Shams is an organiser at Free Palestine Melbourne um, and a Palestinian activist and long-time organiser. Please give it up for Shams. Free Palestine is a community organisation that's dedicated to raising public awareness of the Palestinian hundreds of years struggle for freedom. We seek to build Australia Palestinian solidarity by engaging in political activism in Melbourne and joining international campaigns that oppose Israelis' ongoing colonisation of Palestine. My name's Shams. I was born in Lebanon and I lived my life in Australia. I grew up all my life with my parents who has never stopped speaking about Palestine. In 1948, the Zionist gang attacked my parents' peaceful village. My late father, who was 14 years old, and my mother, who was around two, they, along with their families and all the other villagers from Akbara, were driven into exile. My grandfather 
was killed because he refused to leave his village. Shame. It forced my grandmother to flee the village with my father and his five siblings. And my other grandmother, who was forced to flee, in fact, and if it wasn't for her, bravely, for my uncle, bravely, um, my uncle Rashid, here, she would not be alive here today. Barely an after my grandma, an hour after my grandmother left her village, she realised she had forgotten my mother in bed. And she was forced, my uncle was forced to risk return. I want you to just take a moment and just try and imagine what went through the minds of my grandparents and everyone else in the family. Think of the sheer fear and the horror reflected upon them by the Israeli gangs. This is alone an answer to those who unjustly say Palestinians chose to leave. My parents witnessed the beginning of refugee camps both in Syria and Lebanon. And in 1976, my family had to flee another wave of violence, and this time, the Lebanese Civil War. I was told later it was a bombshell that fell on our house and split the roof in Sabra Shatila, and it nearly killed myself and my brother. If my mother didn't decide to take us with her to buy flour. Today, my mother still tells us stories of what her parents witnessed during Nakba. And it has been 73 years, and my mother is still waiting, dreaming, and still believing she will return to Akbara. And we will return. After the past decade, decade, Israel has occupied more than 50% of the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, to accommodate the illegal settlements, military, military bases, and so-called state lands. Shame. Shame. This is all because the United States and its allies gave the green light to Israel to occupy land. And this has caused occupation of Akbara, which is my birthplace of my parents. It is especially important, and we need to put into practice what is necessary today and for the future. We need to build an international movement, continue our resistance movement and not stop after the bombing of Gaza stops. And once the bombing has stopped, we need to ensure, will Israel government allow the building materials into Gaza to rebuild Gaza again? Will they... Will they completely withdraw Israel's occupation forces from Gaza? Will they totally seize all bombing, shooting, threatening and 
over overflights of Gaza? Will they open the borders crossing and the tra transportation of food and clean water and medical supplies? Will they have free access to media to reveal their situation in Gaza? Will they re release all the Palestinian prisoners in Israel custody? And what kind of steps will we need to take to help defeat the Zionist war machines and end our oppression of the Palestinians? How can we stop Israelis the practice of genocide? And how are we all going to stop these actions? By, by rallies. They are certainly essential and direct actions. We need, we must target those mass media outlets that refuse to report what's going on in Gaza and West, and blank out the mass protest movement in Palestine. We need to get together to block and shut down factories in Victoria making weapons shipped to Israel. Shame. I was one of the group activists who closed the doors of Albert Systems and the workers were asked not to attend work for the day. That was a great achievement. <laughs> and I believe this is just the beginning of building mass campaigns to stop arming Israel. We need to boycott Israel products. And we need as much support, involvement as possible to really make it count. When enough people get together and act, the government will be forced to question their involvement in ethnic cleansing. Please support the Palestinians. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and just then we were listening to a speech by Shams, a Palestinian activist working with Free Palestine Melbourne and uh, Shams was speaking there at the Free Palestine rally in Nam last Saturday the 3rd of July. Now joining us on the line is Tony Green and Nathan Newton from Dadi Munwaro and they're joining us this morning to speak about their new show on 3CR, Strong Spirit. Um, so it's on Mondays at 1pm and this show features interviews with community members from a First Nations perspective and focuses on having discussions about cultural healing and intergenerational trauma. Welcome Tony and welcome Nathan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Oh, is Tony there? Yeah, I'm definitely here. <laughs> so, um, Tony, yeah, can you um, introduce yourself? And then, Nathan, can you also introduce yourself as well? Yeah, I'll fire up. I'm um, Tony Green, Gunai Kurnai Man on the Gippsland line. And, um, yeah, happy to be here. And um, I'm Nathan Newton. Um, I'm a Radjuri man. My um, family comes from Cowra, New South Wales. Thanks for that. And Nathan, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the work that <clears throat> Dadi Munwaro does? Um, so I can tell you what I'm actively involved in, um, you know, apart from the radio show, as um, you spoke about with Strong Spirit, I work a lot with the youth. And um, so the program we run is um, Brahmanjan, which means in Gurnak language, um, brothers walking together. 
And, um, you know, we try and get the boys out to do cultural healing and, and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that, um, like, the men's program run, which Uncle Tony will speak about, soon, I'm sure. But, um, you know, trying to get these boys and, you know, be a mentor for them when they're going down that, that wrong path. Fantastic. And, Tony, do you want to speak a bit more about some of the other programs that Daddy offers? Yeah, um... Daddy's got a wide range of programs. Um, they've got um, like a brother-to-brother line, a support line for First Nations men right across Australia. Um, when anyone's struggling out to um, country areas, any states, they bring the brother-to-brother line and they got a they get a First Nation answer on the other end of the line and they get support and help refer them if they're in... Um, any sort of um, housing issues or anything like that, we help support them in any way we can. We do um, follow-up calls and check in with them if they're really struggling when they ring up. Um, We find that that's um, going pretty well. We've just received uh, two-year funding extra to run that program, the Brother to Brother line. I think that's a really, really good um, line for um, our men to get support on. Moving forward, we've got a Nagara program, and that Nagara program is a program that where we get uh, gentlemen that have um, uh, offended in um, different kind of um, anger issues and stuff like that, where we get them out and start the healing journey for them, men to change their ways with the Healing Men's Behavioural Change program. We get just say, for instance, we'd get them out of um, prison and stuff like that, and then they'd come to a place that we've got in the northern suburbs and settle down in that area there for about a week, and then we put them into their own places that ain't manned in um, the suburbs, Which and then they run an intensive five-day program through uh, Dati Mamwaro and looks at a lot of... Um, traumatic issues that they've gone through, a lot of stuff with um, the generational trauma and and releasing, um, how can I say it, just releasing uh, their issues and a lot of anger issues and changing their ways. Mm. We find we find that um, it's, 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 it's working. Like it's, it's a really good program, that one. Um, that's a, a six, 16-week program. It runs for four months. We've also um, supporting the men further down the track when they get better as we've got a transitional housing where we can um, they can get employment and still and still be with us and work the program while well, they're um, staying on track. We keep supporting them. Mm. So um, that's a real good program. That one. Um, We've also got a media tech program with Dada Mamwara that's um, doing a lot of podcasts and, and has allowed us to do radio ourselves and promote uh, Dada Mamwara and the issues that we've got in the community. Like, we've got a lot of um, gentlemen that have gone through the Dada Mamwara program that are doing quite well in community, doing a lot of really, really good community work. Mm. And they're really, really stepped in the community. Dada started about 20 in... 2020. Yeah. So it's um you know the founder and uh, CEO of Darty was uh, is Alan Thorpe, which um 
he's put a lot of work into, you know, and we've interviewed him. He put a lot of work into starting this Dari Mamwara that's... Uh, he took a risk, which he shared with us. He took a risk and left um, full-time employment to start this journey of healing men. And it's paid off for the wider communities, for the men, you know? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And yeah, Dari has a, really expanded in the last few years, and so you're also operating in the regions, which I know that you spoke about um, on your last show on Strong Spirit. Um, did you want yep. to speak a bit more about that? Yeah, cool. I was, um, the, there's a lot of regional stuff um, pretty much on each line of the highway, like down um, Goodwood-Jamara Way, uh, the Gunai Track, uh, Yorta Yorta Shepherd Line, and... Gippsland and Warnable, uh, Swan Hill. We've got um, different places out in the country to support our men that are going through the courts to run groups out there as well. And the, once again, the healing and um, behavioural change stuff for the men out in the country areas. So it's 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 going well. Um, we've also got a women's unit as well that support men that are going through the program, the Nagara program. So the women, the women support the the partners of the men. So there's a lot of support. Um, I can also give. Um, we're starting up uh, youth hubs in Preston. Oh, great. As, yeah, we're opening a youth hub in Preston on High Street as well as a community hub in um, High Street, Preston as well, where we're going to bring back the um, Koori Night Market. Oh, beautiful. That sounds fantastic. So, so there's a lot of information there that I've just given. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so what's the best way for listeners to um, keep up to date with what Dadi Manwara is up to? Oh, um, well... Oh, um, I think, like, if you want to get the information, um, you know, you can follow um, us on Facebook at Dadi Mamoro. Um, and obviously our show is at 1 o'clock on, on Mondays if, you know, people are interested and want to find out a bit more about the community and how Dadi works with First Nations people. Fantastic. Thanks, Neeson. And also, did you want to reflect on um, your first two shows? How did they go? I you think, want to answer these? Yeah, yeah, you go, Nathan. Yeah. I, I think they, they went fantastic. Um, you know, I'm still trying to le- use the panelling and all that sort of stuff, but a lot of learning myself, but I, I I think they've gone fantastic. And, you know, I, you know I'm you know, i glad I got Uncle Tone there to um, have that support um, during that sort of stuff and, you know, having someone that I trust and being able to... Um, be there while we um, are working hard to yeah. get this radio show started. Yeah, um, and I think that I've, I've listened to the last one on Monday and um, I just think how powerful, you know, conversations can be and you actually, um, Tony, you talked about that, how, you know, through um, people learning different um, language and like how to express themselves, then they can really go on a journey to towards transformation and change. So I think that um, it's just so fantastic that Dadi has this show now. Oh, it's, 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 it's really cool. You know, like 
we're trying to get good content on community stuff and stuff with data. We don't want to fill up the whole program with just data stuff. We want to get a lot of community stuff out there as well, if we can. But it um, depends on what's happening because, like I said earlier, we've got a lot of good men that have um, gone through the program at Darty and working out doing wider stuff, you know. So it's really good. And, um, yeah, what are the plans maybe for future episodes? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, it really is a good question. We're just... We're just it's, it's all about sharing information, I guess, and um, I, I really want Neith and the youth to empower themselves and do a lot of stuff, you know, with um, the radio stuff and, you know, like uh, learn a lot more with the youth. I reckon that'd be great. And, um, yeah, I don't know. We've, like I said, we've got the website and all that sort of stuff happening as well. I'd I'll also share something that's coming up on our website that's um, a very nice um, tribute to community members, elders and stuff like that. But, um, we've done a project called You've Been Tagged. So we interviewed people um, there and um, their life stories of generated, the, the conversations generated from a, a photo when they were children. So it's amazing stories what they've done and we get to hear stories from our elders in the community, which have been great. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, well, on that note, we might have to wrap up the interview, but um, I really encourage listeners to check out Strong Spirit. So, yeah, Dadi Manwara is hitting up um, Strong Spirit every Monday at 1pm on 3CR. And thank you so much, Tony and Nathan, for telling us a little bit more about the show and a bit more about what Dadi Manwara does. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Happy NADOC as well. Happy NADOC. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> and just then we heard from Tony Green and Nathan Newton from Dadi Munworo who joined us to speak about their new show Strong Spirit on 3CR on Mondays at 1pm and now we're going to go into a track by Skinny Fish Sound System featuring B2M, Birds and Tasman Keith this one is Smoking Ceremony
and all the family from who bang you do collect it. You feel the smoke in the air whenever we connect it. Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. And that last track we just played was Smoking Ceremony by Skinny Fish Sound System featuring B2M, Birds and Tasman Keith. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8 by 5 a.m. And up next, we're going to speak to Fayen DV, an artist and writer born in Malaysia, raised in Aotearoa, and now living in the bushlands of unceded Jajawarung country. Her projects are often collaborative and resist spectatorship by inviting audiences into sensorial readings of artworks. And Fayen is joining us this morning to talk specifically about a new solo exhibition at West Space that opens this Saturday, the 10th of July. The exhibition is titled, We Get in Touch with Things at the Point They Break Down, Even 
in the absence of spectators and audiences, dust circulates. Good morning, Fayen. Welcome to Thursday Morning Breakfast. Thanks, Rosie. Good morning to you from Jarrah Country. So good to have you here. So, Fayen, um, I was just wondering if I gave a little intro to your work there, but I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself a little further and talk a little bit about the work that you do. That's actually really difficult because um, as my practice has evolved, I've ended up moving in and across a whole variety of areas. Um, I was just reflecting yesterday that um, I had my first solo show at West Base about six years ago, and at that point I was really interested in painting and publishing um, and just starting to engage publicly with my um, uh, visual impairment. Um, but since that time, my practice has moved um, sort of following different threads of conversation and collaboration into a vast array of areas from, you know, video and sound works, um, descriptive and typographic uh, translations, um, various kinds of uh, performative interventions, uh, new concepts of publishing that open up different perceptual spaces, um, a lot of scores and encounters that are outside conventional exhibitions, um, screen printing, um, you know, it's really very hard to pin down to um, a pithy description. Yeah, that, that's true. Although one thing I think um, the press release for the show mentions radical accessibility. Um, and I feel like maybe that's one way to talk about what you do. Or I was wondering if maybe you could actually speak a little bit about that concept for listeners. Um, and even, I don't know if you think of it in relation to um, a kind of more uh, common conception of accessibility. Maybe that's the wrong way to begin. But um, I was wondering if you could talk about that concept a little. Yeah, absolutely. I guess um, a lot of times people think about accessibility as, you know, a, a gallery protocol, something that will um, expand the audience uh, to a show to a small degree to um, certain um, uh, audiences from the disability community. But um, to my mind, um, access is something much broader. It's about making our galleries and uh, museums or other places where artwork is shared um, a place of welcome to more people. And I think in this, um, I'm really affected by uh, the fact that I came to art making really late. Um, I went to um, the VCA uh, when I was already in my, just after my mid-30s. Um, and uh, previously I'd worked uh, in peace building um, and particularly um, sort of transformative pedagogies. And I'd really come to this point, I left that career because I felt like... Um, Art making was the best place that you could have um, introduced all kinds of interesting ideas that were um, important uh, to um, bring up within social conversations, you know, um, that it was a place where you could um, use any kind of medium um, to reach any kind of audience. But once I got to Melbourne, I felt like the people that I was uh, encountering at galleries was actually really limited. And um, I felt that um, as a new mother, it was very difficult to bring my child to galleries. Um, I felt uh, as I became more public about engaging with my low vision, that it was very difficult, you know, someone with a disability. It just sort of seemed the layers of difficulty um, and sense of a lack of welcome in galleries was something that needed to be challenged. Um, and as I've gone on, one of the exciting things that has, that has happened is that I've realised how many um, artists and communities are working on this, um, not only from within the creative disability community, but also obviously, you know, um, Indigenous First Nations artists have played such a significant um, role as models for me over the last uh, number of years 
particularly my collaborator Katie West, Mishrabandi artist from the Pilbara, who's now in Nungabudja country, um, thinking through, you know, how do we um, recognise some of the habits we've got into with um, exhibitions and galleries and how we see uh, artworks. Um, and maybe they're not um, habits or protocols that are necessary and maybe they're not even helpful. So this exhibition at West Base is a, um, a giant experiment in really trying to um, create a, a, an exhibition that is more welcome to um, a number of people that I work with, uh, professional and non-professional artists, and also to new collaborators who have emerged through even just the development and installation process of this exhibition. Um, great, it's actually Diane. grounded in... Oh. Um, I'll just mention uh, one more thing, mm. is that there's a video work that grounds the show called Open Access. Accessibility is Temporary Collectively Held Space. Um, and it's actually a talk that I commissioned during COVID lockdown last year from non-visual artist, Canadian artist, Carmen Papalia, and features um, many of my collaborators and staff at West Base. Um, and that's going to be available online as well as in the gallery. Um, and I think that that really speaks to, it's not just my feeling about welcome and access, but a broader sense that, that we can do more with our, our galleries. Mm, that sounds really great. Well, um, if possible, we'll also link to that in the show notes, or maybe that will only come online later on. But we will definitely get it out to listeners as well. Um, I just wanted to follow up. Sorry to interrupt you there. I just wanted to follow up on this idea of collaboration because I know that is really important to your work and it's something that you do a lot of. Um, yeah, could you speak a bit about maybe what collaboration brings to your artwork or to um, art spaces in general and maybe, yeah, speak a bit about some of those relationships that you have built because there are collaborators that you've been working with for a long time and then also these kind of new collaborators that come in at the project. Yeah, I think that um, it probably uh, I began to reach out to collaborators when I was starting 3Ply, which is my publishing imprint, which I actually started probably, it was, might have been my first or second year at art school. Um, and the first project wasn't even an official 3Ply project. Um, it was actually published under the Narrows, and it was a collaboration with Warren Taylor and Matt Hinckley um, on a publication. And... Um, and I want to call out Warren Taylor here because he's somebody who really influenced the way that I approached collaboration. He was um, so uh, generous with me as somebody just, you know, entering um, the art world and art scene, not knowing much about publishing and really carried that project and others subsequently through. Um, there are other people, um, uh, John Nixon is another one, just a number of, um, I guess, established figures within the Melbourne art scene who really... Um, showcase to me how um, there don't need to be these kind of generational divisions and the ways that um, whether it's conceptually, you know, in conversation or skill sharing um, enables us to um, materialise outcomes that just wouldn't be possible on my own. Uh, another part of it is that I live in a rural area. I live um, off-grid out in the bush. And when I first moved out here, uh, which is about almost nine years ago, I was a little worried about how isolated I would be. And so at that point, I did actually deliberately start um, activating some collaborations, um, wanting to keep in touch with, you know, um, uh, people and conversations I was interested in. Um, as my work changed, there was a, other reasons for it as well, because the more that I got into um, thinking about and through blindness, I realised that the community of people to talk to in Australia was tiny. And so I ended up connecting um, with a number of um 
collaborators who are in this space show, actually, um, particularly in the US, um, uh, also Europe uh, more broadly. Uh, and those are relationships and collaborations that have been sustained for almost six years now. And we've gone into kind of really exciting territory that I couldn't have imagined on my own before. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing as well, just that long duration, like working with people over a long period of time and how so so much can come out of that because sometimes um, collaborations happen for, yeah, this project or that project, but actually like their relationships and they can continue and that can really build something. I was just wondering um, if you would be able to describe a bit about um, of this new show that's opening at West Space, what you've got planned, um, maybe talk a little bit about the process of making the work as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, the idea of it um, really uh, is grounded in this notion of a dust cloud. Um, it's a model of um, exhibition making I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about the ways that um, working with blindness or thinking through blindness has led me to um, believe, to argue, to advocate for the idea that blindness actually dissembles a lot of these habits and protocols that we have. Um, and also allows a kind of a refiguring and animating of exhibition making um, as sensorial translations and improvisations and conversations. So um, uh, there's, it also resonates with crypt time, which means that um, there are some works that are going to appear during the duration of the show. Um, there are some works that are going to appear after the show is closed. Um, and similarly, there's a kind of a cloud of collaborators um, who may, you know, uh, expand and add the attitude during the course of the exhibition and afterwards. Um, so it's, you know, challenging the temporality of these public exhibitions. Um, as you enter the space in terms of the physical exhibition site, um, it was important for me to um, begin by acknowledging um, Aaron McTake, who's a blind sculptor based in London, who works with Adventitious Blindness, who, um, uh, whose skeletal bowels have sort of travelled with me over the last number of years through a variety of um, developments, particularly with Benjamin Hancock. Um, but it was Aaron's ideas around Adventitious Blindness that first started uh, me kind of thinking about uh, not thinking about blindness, you know, in terms of um, uh, uh, just um, awareness raising, but something as a, um, a generative of kind of creative practice. And then as you enter the space, there's the video work that I mentioned um, uh, featuring Carmen Papalia and um, this kind of uh, initial cloud of collaborators um, during lockdown held virtually over Zoom. And I really love this work because um, not only does it speak to some of these ideas of open access, but it also models it in terms of opening with an acknowledgement, opening with access intimacy, which is this idea about being honest and acknowledging where you are on the day, what your needs might be, and communicating that to other people. Um, not just if you have a disability, you know, just any time you turn up for someone, what, where are you at and, and what do you need? Um, and uh, there's other features of that video, like there's moments where um, Holly Craig's uh, screen reader malfunctions, and you can hear it kind of on repeat in the background, and I really love that moment. Um, we all take turns um, reading parts of um, image descriptions for Carmen, so it really is this model of interdependence. Um, and that idea of interdependence um, is a text work that flashes up on the screen a few times um, it says interdependence is central to the radical restructuring of power. 
And that is a text work that Carmen has shown, you know, as a kind of a drawn text work in a number of um, galleries. And um, he and I talked about how we could turn it into something that would be um, a collaborative performance. Mm, and so, Diane, I'm really sorry to um, cut you off there, but we're going to have to wrap up. We're just running out of time. I absolutely cannot mm. wait to come and experience um, this show. And I really encourage listeners to um, hop on down to Westspace if you can, if you're um, in Nam. Otherwise, um, maybe check out the website and we will try and link to that video work as well. That would be really great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast, Fayen. Thanks, Rosie. Bye. Just then we heard um, Fayen DV, an artist and writer, talking about her new solo exhibition at Westspace that's opening this Saturday, the 10th of July. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blue. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Yan. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is about 7, sorry, 817 in the morning. Um, and now we're going to go to an interview with Eve Reeves, who's a writer, podcaster, and historian based at La Trobe University, and who joins us to speak about the recently released special issue of Bent Street Journal, Soft Borders, Hard Edges. Hey, Eve, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm wondering if um, maybe we can just kick it off by you self-introducing in a little more detail, because I feel like um, transpositionality is a really important part of this um, of this edition. So I, I wanted to give you that opportunity. Thanks. Um, so as you said, I'm a um, I'm a historian who works at La Trobe University, um, and you know I work in many types of history, uh, including gender history and history of economics. But sort of separate to that, I'm um, a trans person who came out as trans in 2018. Um, I describe myself kind of loosely as non-binary or transmasculine, but I actually just prefer the word trans um, above anything, and I use they, them pronouns. Um, and in that capacity, I've written um, a bunch of personal essays about being trans, and I actually have a memoir coming out um, next month, 
uh, with Alan and Unwin called All About Eve, Note to My Transition, about my kind of experience of coming out. And, um, and I've been working, um, with a bunch of other trans writers to get more trans writing out into the world in various capacities, which has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, and, and on that, um, could you tell us a bit about the uh, Spilling the Tea Writing Collective? Because I understand this is a peer support writers collective that you and others have developed for trans and gender diverse writers. Um, so I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, that's right. So um, this sort of started off with uh, through me and Sam Elkin, um, a trans writer and podcaster and ex-lawyer. Sam and I met early last year just sort of before the pandemic hit and discovered we had this kind of shared interest in creating spaces for trans writers to come together and build community and develop their work. So we um, we managed to get a grant from the Transgender Victoria uh, Spark Peer Support Program to start what we decided to call Filling the Tea, a trans writing collective. This was initially meant to be a kind of in-person uh, type is the Wheeler Centre, but because of COVID, we had to put it to online. But that actually ended up being a kind of blessing in disguise because it meant we could include trans writers from all over the country um, uh, coming together to talk about our work. We had guest writers come in from around Australia and overseas who were more established, talk about being a trans writer. Um, and we ended up having two rounds of the Filling the Tea Collective last year, and it was really quite a life-changing experience for me just to meet more trans people and be really blown away by the talent that's out there. There are so many um, trans people who have important things to say, and I really think we're kind of at the beginning of a kind of golden age of trans writing in this country. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really exciting, especially the way that this is consolidated in this new special edition of Bent Street. So yourself, Sam Elkin, and Tiffany Jones have co-edited this edition um, titled Soft Borders, Hard Edges, which focuses on the trans and gender diverse community. Um, so could you tell us a bit about what it was like to pull this together and about some of the writers that you worked with, including incarcerated writers as well? Yeah, so um, one of the you know major goals of the Spilling the Tea Collective was to publish a selection of work from the writers within it. Um, and so we were really thrilled when uh, Gordon Thompson, who's sort of the the, the, um, the fuel behind Ben Street, um, approached Sam and I earlier this year, suggesting we uh, co-guest edit a special issue of this kind of existing LGBTIQA journal, but to do a special issue focused on trans and gender diverse experience. Um, along with Tiffany Jones, who was responsible for editing the kind of academic articles. So Sam and I, um, we already had a bunch of submissions from the Spilling the Tea Collective group, but we also put out a wider call um, to reach out to other trans and gender diverse writers we might have missed. And we actually, yeah, we had such an incredible array of work coming in. There's a mix of, you know, the final product has a mix of life writing, essays, poetry, graphics, um, there's interviews, um, and it really just, uh, you know, encapsulates the kind of the, the breadth and the depth of trans experience from the real suffering to the gender euphoria. And as you mentioned, one of the most powerful pieces in the collection is by um, Stacey Stokes, who is a trans woman who isn't currently incarcerated in a men's jail in Victoria. And... Um, she writes incredibly movingly about the trauma of that experience, how humiliatingly, how humiliating it is to do that, have that experience and be misgendered, um, and also her kind of troubled life up to that past. So I'd really recommend that readers check out that piece in particular. 
Yeah, awesome. Um, and could you speak a bit more, I guess, about the particular nuances of trans and gender diverse life writing and why it's um, it's been important for you to amplify writing from trans standpoints? Yeah, so I think, you know, until very recently, um, there was very little representation of trans lives in culture anywhere. Um, you know, most of us, like I'm, I'm in my 30s, and when I was growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, the only representation of trans people were as freaks who were laughable, weird deviants, or as murder victims, or as psychopaths. Um, so, you know, in my childhood brain, like I, because that was all I could see as transness, I just didn't realise transness was something possible for me. And it took until I was 30 years old to actually, like, name my transness and come out. And I think, you know, a lot of people have those kind of experiences um, where because transness is represented so negatively in the world, it becomes really, really challenging to associate it with us, ourselves and it increases the stigma of, of transness. So we have, you know, the same that we constantly come back to, which is, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So through putting trans writing into the world, Sam and I, we really wanted to, you know, create new models of transness, which would, you know, help be part of a wider cultural movement to shift those negative representations, but also create positive role models of trans people living amazing, happy, fulfilled lives to um, help, you know, enable younger people or trans people who aren't out yet to realise that this is something that is possible for you. You can mm -hmm. be trans and still have a future. You don't need to, you know, come out as trans and then be forever, like, stigmatised and living, you know, on the streets and being hated by society. That transness is part of a wonderful thing and part of the richness um, of human experience. And, I mean, also to that, it's not just for trans people. It's, I think, because trans people you know, live on the margins of gender and are often forced to kind of um, repress their true gender identities for many years, they've really become experts in gender and embodiment and identity mm. in many ways um, through this kind of uh, university of life experience. Yeah. And so I, I'm constantly blown away by how trans people have really incredibly perceptive things to say about gender and identity, which are relevant for all people because we're all performing our gender every day whether we're trans or cisgender, and we all have so much to learn from trans voices. Absolutely. Thank you. And I mean, could you tell us for people, um, to, to wrap it up, where people can go to find out about the launch and where they can grab a copy of Soft Borders Hard Edges? Yeah, so we... Um, we had a, we had an initial launch at the Footscray Community Arts Centre a few weeks ago, and we're having a second one at uh, Heads and Hyenas, the the queer bookshop um, on Johnson Street in Fitzroy. It's on next Tuesday night, the thirteenth of July, at six thirty p.m., um, which will be a really fun evening. And the copy of uh, Soft Borders, Hard Edges is um, available for sale at Hairs and Hyenas, and you can also buy it at several retailers online. Uh, so we'd really love um, anyone interested to pick up a copy and have a taste of this wonderful writing for themselves. Yeah, fantastic. I'm really excited to have a read-through. And, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us about this labour of love that you and Sam and also Tiffany have been involved in. My pleasure. And we've actually discovered there's so much trans writing in the world. We're working on a new anthology called Nothing to Hide. Um, so stay tuned for more news about that project as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eve.
Thank you for having me. And that was a conversation with Eve Rees, who's a writer, podcaster, and historian based at La Trobe University, and they joined us to speak about the recently released special issue of Bent Street Journal, Soft Borders, Hard Edges, which you can pick up widely online, as well as at Hares and Hyenas in Fitzroy and the bookshop Darlinghurst. Um, so I think that's about all we've got time for today on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. For once, we've left enough time to do a proper rundown, which is a thrill. <laughs> so what have we had on the show, Carly? Okay, so first up, um, we had an excerpt from the 2021 Emerging Writers Festival, Late Night Literature, Imagining Abolitionist Futures event. So that event was hosted by Nayuka and Whit Gorry. And we heard work from Flick Smith, Ashley Chapman, Stacey Stokes and Rosalina Curtis. And then we heard a speech by Shams, a Palestinian activist working with Free Palestine Melbourne from the Free Palestine rally that happened last Saturday, the 3rd of July in Nam. And then we heard from Tony Green and Nisa Newton from Dadi Monroe, who joined us to speak about their new show, Strong Spirit, that's on 3CR on Mondays at 1pm. After that, we heard from Fan Devi, who's an artist and writer that was born in Malaysia, raised in Aotearoa, and lives on unceded Dajawaran country, about her new exhibition at West Base, opening this Saturday, the 10th of July, titled We Get in Touch with Things at the Point They Break Down, Even in the Absence of Spectators and Audiences, Dust Circulates. And finally, just then, we heard uh, an interview with Eve Reese, a writer, podcaster and historian based at La Trobe University, and they joined us to discuss uh, the new issue of Bent Street Journal, Soft Borders, Hard Edges. And just uh, one more time, we wanted to plug a fundraiser for a friend of the show, Joey King, um, who's currently experiencing homelessness, and she's really close to reaching her target um, to get you know somewhere secure to stay and to support her needs. So if you want to support Joey, just search Help Joey Rebuild Her Life on GoFundMe. And one final time as well, we'd just love to plug Beyond the Bars, which is happening this week. So you can listen, tune in on 3CR 855 AM from 11 till 2 today to hear the Beyond the Bars broadcast. Awesome. And um, yeah, looking forward to chatting with you all next week. Take care. Happy NADOC. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.